Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Sophia Yen. Dr. Yen is one of the co-founders and CEO of Pandia Health, a one-stop shop for women's recurring medications, starting with birth control. She's also board certified in adolescent medicine with more than 20 years of experience in medicine, as well as a clinical associate professor of pediatrics in the division of adolescent medicine at Stanford Medical School. I'd also like to thank Justin Gordon for introducing us in the first place. Thank you, Sophia, for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So Sophia, can you start by telling us a bit more about your background, how you got into medicine and then specifically decided to focus on pediatrics? Yes. So I've wanted to be a physician since about fourth grade. And I love that it was an excuse to buy stickers. So I would buy stickers not for myself, but for my future patients. And I couldn't buy just one sheet. I had to buy three sheets because it would be sad if, you know, a patient took one sticker and there wasn't extra stickers for the next patient. So it was a great way to milk my parents' for stickers. The true, I think, calling was that I love people and I love science. And each person is a different story. Each person is a different challenge to help them optimize their health. And my mom was a nurse and she said, don't be a nurse, be a doctor, because the nurses do all the scut work and the doctors get all the credit. So I was like, okay, I'll be a doctor. But my tip to people out there is if you're going to do just general primary care, don't be a doctor, be a nurse practitioner because you can do everything a doctor does with less education and you're unionized. But if you wanna be more specialty, then maybe go for the doctor. But that is how I became a physician. And then about six years ago, I was giving a talk to a bunch of physicians why don't those pesky women take their birth control? And one of the top reasons that came up from the research was because they didn't have it in their hand. And my friend and I were like, we can solve this. We will just ship it to women and keep shipping it to them until they tell us to stop. And when we ran ads for free birth control delivery, 60% of the people that responded didn't have a prescription. As an entrepreneur, I didn't want to miss out on 60% of the customers. And as a physician, I could write the prescription. And thus, Pandia Health was born, the end-to-end solution for birth control. If you already have a prescription, we just deliver it. We bill it to your insurance. We ship it to your door. If you don't have insurance, it's roughly $15 a month per pack, less than 50 cents a day. And then if you need a prescription to catch that 60% that didn't have a prescription, we can do it online. And what's different is it's asynchronous. So you just fill out a questionnaire 24-7 at your convenience, give us a self-reported blood pressure in the past 365 days. Then our doctor looks at it 24-7 at their convenience. If it looks good, write the prescription, ship it to our partner pharmacy, bill it to your insurance or to your credit card, send it to your door. Set it and forget it. Let Pandia Health worry so you don't have to. And it's because I just wanted, I saw a problem and we wanted to solve it. We wanted to make women's lives better. We are the only women-founded, women-led, the only doctor-led company in the birth control delivery space. Wow, that's uh, you've definitely preempted my question around like Pandia and how you started, and pretty fascinating and clearly like aligned with consumer-centric healthcare trends, which we've been talking about, ranging from companies like Hims and Hers to Roe. So, what are the you know? Can you talk a bit about the size and scope of Pandia so far? Like, how many patients have you reached? Whatever you can share, and then also how many? I know you're a physician. Are there other physicians at the company who are also reviewing these forms that the patients fill out? 
Yeah. So the company came up with the idea six years ago, and then four years ago started female-founded, female-led, doctor-led company. I think this is one of the few companies out there that had five founders because I wanted to make sure we had everybody necessary. We had a pharmacist, a physician, a chief medical officer, I mean, a chief marketing officer, a COO, and myself to provide all the expertise that could possibly be out there. And then from there, we decided to build it. So we launched, came up with the company March 2016, launched in July 2016. So just four months later, my CTO is amazing and then have grown since that time. We are aiming for 10,000 customers by January or so to meet our Series A metrics and in terms of who's prescribing, I've personally prescribed, thanks to this company, 2,000 birth control prescriptions in the past two years. And from that, because we're the only doctor-founded and I think only academic doctor-founded company in this space, I've been looking at the data. And as physicians, we usually prescribe this birth control. But I'm learning that if you're Asian, African-American, or Latino, you actually do better on this birth control. And so now we're asking our patients to self-report their ethnicity so that we can look at is there a correlation between a specific birth control pill and side effects. And if we start you on this one, do you have a better journey on your birth control journey? Because my goal is to have the patient be as happy as possible and use the medication and prevent unplanned pregnancy. But if we start you on one that gives you nasty side effects or you have to go through three or four or five different ones to find the one that works for you, that's going to be a far more negative experience. And if we go based on our research, this is the one that is going to go for you. And so we found one that 90, 95% of women do really well on. Wow, that, that's that's also fascinating. I can't wait to see that published or the, the results as you publish them. Obviously, you know, COVID has accelerated a lot of the trends around both telehealth, consumer-driven healthcare, and then companies like obviously Medlio and Amazon's PillPack have seen a huge spike. Capsule is another one in terms of being able to provide that convenience to customers who don't have to go to the clinic and get risk of exposure to COVID, but rather can stay at home and just like they get, you know, furniture delivered to them, they can get birth control delivered to them. Can you talk to us a bit about COVID and the impact that that's had on Pandia Health so far? So we are one of the lucky companies where COVID has been an absolute tailwind and has dropped our customer acquisition cost, I think, because everybody's on social media. And so we are getting to people, 70% of our traffic comes organically because as I like to say, I live, breathe, eat, and prescribe birth control. So it's in my blood and I'm thinking it 24-7 and given 20 plus years in the field, I can talk about it to the end of time. And so we've created on our website, Frequently Asked Questions. We've created on YouTube videos with 200,000 views with no advertising, no promotion, simply because we know the questions that are on those with uterized mind who are looking at the birth control pill patch ring, like first time, don't take it on an empty stomach in the morning, you know, and make sure you take it at the same time every single day and other kind of useful tips like that. We're also doing an Instagram or Facebook live or Instagram live every Tuesday in Espanol at five o'clock Pacific time and at 530 in English to answer frequently asked questions about birth control. What's the latest and the greatest? Will it make me infertile? Will it make me gain weight? And so we have been able to capture people's interest that way 
way organically. And we're also running Facebook and Google AdWords and they've become more effective as more people are sitting in front of it. But as you mentioned, COVID has driven people to understand asynchronous telemedicine. Before they didn't know the word asynchronous, but now everybody knows about it because of asynchronous learning. And before then, telemedicine was seen as horrible and a taboo and pushed away by the general medical establishment. But given the need for safety, they're seeing an understanding and accepting it. The key that I want people to understand about telemedicine is not all telemedicine companies are created equal and that you should look at who is the CEO? What is their goal? Are they driven purely by profit or are they here to make your lives better. And I like to say as the only MD CEO of a birth control company, we will always tell you what's best for your health, even if it doesn't benefit our bottom line. Because I will make money for my investors, but I don't have to do it pushing something you don't need or withholding information from you. So when consumers are looking at telemedicine, one, who is the CEO? What is their mission? How much is mission-driven? How much is profit-driven? And then two, transparency. Do they list their physicians, first and last name, and their training? Because if they don't, why don't they? And then if you're going to see a regular doctor via telemedicine, go right ahead, because I presume that you've vetted them. But if you haven't, it'd be nice to look up who are these people and is the you know CEO, chief medical officer, an ophthalmologist for a birth control company? And then just because they have a chief medical officer that's in the field, does that chief medical officer go through that process and understand the way it's been implemented? Because we've seen stuff that is not standard of care. In telemedicine, you should do everything you can do in the office to the best of your ability. And one of them is informed consent. So for birth control, they should offer you the pill, the patch, the ring on the telemedicine side. As a doctor, I can write whatever the heck you want and send it to whatever pharmacy you want. On the pharmacy side, I can choose not to fill the pill and the patch or, you know, patch or ring or whatever because I lose money on it. But on the telemedicine side, I should give you all your options and I should send it to whatever pharmacy you want. And then to separate the pharmacy side and be like, oh, well, I'm only going to fill the ones that make me money. So make sure that if you have a, I think, ethical and following the standard of care telemedicine company, that they are giving you all your options. Also, it's unusual to go to a doctor's office and they go, do you want this drug, right? They don't say that. They're like, do you want a cholesterol lowering drug? They don't say this drug. And so if they're saying this drug, you got to wonder, look at their relationships with that drug company, see what the situation is. But as a physician, you should not be like this drug. You should be all your options, choose this option and explain why. That's, that's super interesting. That first time I've heard those criteria and certainly I'm sure you've written about that or uh, something that our, our audience, mostly health professionals can glean from. You know, can you tell us a bit more about kind of the types of people you are reaching? I mean, you were trained in pediatrics and adolescent medicine, which is when a lot of people start taking birth control, obviously. But then, you know, do you, do you prescribe to people who are, you know, much older? And then also, I know one reason for birth control is obviously actual birth control, but you've launched this hashtag periods optional initiative. Can you tell us a bit more about that? That. Those are very good questions. So as an adolescent medicine practitioner, you know, trained in pediatrics, I'm fine with the little ones up to like maybe 25 or 30. And the main reason, well, one of the reasons we created this company was, you know, to make sure we could bring birth control to wherever you have internet and a mailbox, but also 
because that birth control is safe and it should be over the counter. And that's what the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology said back in 2012 and again in 2016 and again 2019. So we feel comfortable with a drug that should be over the counter as long as you ask these 20 questions, the same questions I would ask you in my office, and as long as you get a self-reported blood pressure that's within the normal range. And so on our platform, we don't tell you what normal is because we feel you might just check that box. We want you to give us a number so we can make sure that it's safe for you and that you know no one dies or anything like that. And so we are comfortable prescribing from age 14 to about 45, 50, 55, and that 55 and up, you really shouldn't be using birth control for birth control, but you're actually using it for menopause. And we're looking at it at the other side, but for menopause, you need a lower dose simply because the estrogen does give you an increased risk of blood clots and whatnot. But it's crazy. Um, I just realized this looking into it, that the menopausal doses is far more expensive than the birth control pill. So the standard birth control pills, $15 per pack per month. But if you want the 10 microgram one, those are all still brand and they're like 150 a month, but they're one third the dose of the normal birth control pill. So why don't we just cut the birth control pill, right? But it's America and it's about capitalism and they charge whatever the heck that you can. And so um, as you mentioned, periods optional is a way to look at birth control, not for birth control, that this is hormonal treatment. And for anyone with a uterus out there, we're about to blow your mind. And anybody who deals with anybody with a uterus, the, I had the realization when I was trying to get pregnant with my first child that the only reason that those of us with uteri bleed, we build that lining, wait for an embryo, no embryo, bleed, right? And then we do this every single month from age 12 and a half in the United States to about 26. But for those of us who have extra education and healthcare, it took a while to find our significant other, 35, 20 years of build and slough and build and slough and pop out an egg. And every time you build that lining, you risk endometrial cancer. Every time you pop out an egg, we don't know if it's the pop or the heel, you risk ovarian cancer. And why are we doing this if we're only on average catching a baby, making a baby twice in our lives, right? And so this incessant menstruation is a modern construct. And in our natural state, we used to have 100 menstruations a year. Now we're having 350, in our lifetimes, not a year. Now we're having 350 to 400 menstruations in our lifetime. And it's because we're starting our periods at 12. Whereas in the natural state, we would start at 16. We would have eight babies. We're only having two. We would breastfeed 12 to 18 months. And now we're breastfeeding zero, three, or six months. How many menstruations or bleeds does a person with a uterus have when they're pregnant? Zero. When they're exclusively breastfeeding, zero. So we should have 100 menstruations, bleeds in our lives. We're having 350 to 400. And so sharing this information with anybody with a uterus will increase those with the uterus's productivity. The number one cause of missed work in school under the age of 25, menstruation. And a lot of women go, well, it just runs in my family and is the way it should be. And it's like, just because it runs in your family doesn't mean it has to be that way. Like if your family runs like my family, blind as a bat, Let's use technology to make your life better. And so we now have the technology to turn off that monthly bleed. And in my world, you would only bleed when you're trying to get pregnant. So for me, it just took three months each time. So six 
menstruations in a lifetime versus 350 to 400 menstruations. So if you guys want to learn more about it, pandiahealth.com forward slash periods optional on the bottom is my TEDx talk that I gave on the moonshot of having fewer periods, but this opens it up to hormonal treatment rather than birth control. But it also can be for bad, evil, heavy periods. And every time I give a talk to a bunch of those with uteri, a room of 30, three women will come up afterwards and be like, oh, I'm so tired and cold. And when I have my period, do I tell my team about it as a CEO? You know, and I was like, you're a CEO, right? You should have health insurance. Why don't you go talk to your health provider? And at least, you know, first line treatment is ibuprofen, 600 milligrams with food up to three times a day for five days to decrease the blood loss by 30%. Failing that, then go to some sort of hormonal treatment to control it. And for the parents out there, I have a 14-year-old and now an 11-year-old. And I ask you, is your young person going to do better on the SAT bleeding or not bleeding? Or on a talk or a pitch, bleeding or not bleeding? On a sport, bleeding or not bleeding? And the example I give is as a pre-med. I was at MIT taking my biochem final. All of a sudden, bleh, blood. And I'm like, ah, do I run to the bathroom or do I finish the exam? And you know the answer is a pre-med or pre-health student. You finish the exam. But was I a little distracted? Yes. And I looked to my left. I looked to my right. Two non-uterine bearing beings. And they're like, doo, 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 doo. and meanwhile, I'm freaking out. And I want my daughters to be on equal playing ground with everyone next to them. I don't want them randomly hit with blood one week out of four for 20 years of their lives. Not saying that women can't do it. I love the favorite that I can do everything you do bleeding. You know, but I'd rather not be bleeding. I'd rather not risk anemia. I'd rather not risk iron deficiency anemia. And I'd rather be at my full functional capacity. So I think that is the huge pearl I have to share with everybody listening today is anybody with a uterus definitely know that hashtag periods can be optional and that you should look into it if you are bleeding once a month. That is fascinating. That's the first time I've, I've heard someone explain that so passionately. And like, yeah, I mean, for people like me who don't have uterus, that's fascinating, like really instructive. You know, I, I'm curious, like, you know, we had Eric Topol on the show a couple of weeks ago, who I'm sure you know, he wrote one of his three most famous books was The Patient Will See You Now about the consumerization of healthcare and having patients take a more active or just people, right? Because everyone is, you know, has a body, has conditions, you know, take a more active role in their own healthcare, not have to, you know, go to their priest to communicate to God as if you, if you were to use that analogy but rather learn about it themselves, which is, I think, what a lot of the companies like, like Pendia are helping people do, obviously with the guide. But I'd love to hear your take on, you know, as an academic professor where, you know, when you go to, when you, you know, learn to places like MIT or Stanford, there is that hierarchy there. You know, I was at Harvard undergrad and then Hopkins Med School, definitely a hierarchy because it, it makes you, gives power. And also sometimes there's an attitude of like doctor knows best, which they, which they do, they train, but there's that attitude that the patients, the more patients look up their symptoms on WebMD or something, the more sort of annoying they become or cyberchondriac they become. I know it's obviously not black or white, but wh where do you stand on the consumerization of healthcare and you know everything from 23andMe to, to what Pendia is doing to Roe and Hims and those kind of companies? Yeah, I think that, you know, I love data. 
if you'll, you'll talk to my team, I'm always about collecting more rather than less data. And I think 23andMe offering information, but it has to be done safely, right? If I give you a result and you freak out and kill yourself, that's not cool. Or if I give you a result and you don't truly understand it, like even I have a colleague at the New York Times and the, her interpretation of the research in New York Times, you know, not some crazy website that's promoting marble vaginal eggs, but a respected (laughs) newspaper was their interpretation of COVID antibody results was that children make a lesser response. And my interpretation of that study was not that they make a lesser response, they make a more specific response of this specific IgG as opposed to a whole bunch of different IgGs, which then have collateral damage and stuff like that. And so that is the danger of consumers is they didn't go to medical school, right? They didn't study virology. They don't understand pharmacology. But I do believe that you sometimes have to be educated. And the example that I give is specifically with emergency contraception. I am passionate about birth control. And so I call myself the god of emergency contraception for young adults. And I gave a talk to a bunch of 60 Stanford physicians, only one out of 60. This wasn't like med students. These were residents. One out of 60 knew about the four different types of emergency contraception. So one is the copper IUD. Two is prescription emergency contraception. And as physicians or health practitioners, you should know about the prescription option. Everybody knows about the third one, plan B and its generics. But if you go into a doctor's office or the ER, do you want the third most effective emergency contraception? No, I want number one or number two. And number one is invasive, but it is 99.99999% effective. Number two is twice as effective as plan B and its generics. And then because I'm an academic, always up to date on the literature, because I have medical students and residents going, Dr. Young, the latest paper says X, why aren't you doing Y, you know? And so the latest and greatest is that if you have a body mass index of 26 or greater, and my body mass index is 25, and thanks to COVID, might be 26 now, I haven't checked recently, plan B and its generics are as good as if you took nothing. And so this is very important to the 60% of America that is overweight or obese. One, know your BMI. Two, if it's 26 or greater, plan B and its generics are as good as a tic-tac at preventing pregnancy. On the side, you can double up on it, but why not get the prescription emergency contraception ahead of time? And right now under the Affordable Care Act, it is free, no copay, no deductible, but no as of a couple months from now, the Affordable Care Act may be reversed and then you will have to pay for it. So go get it now. But knowing about the BMI of 26, knowing about the fact that prescription emergency contraception, Ella or Olaprystal acetate exists when your doctor might not. Because there's so much for the physician to know. And so it's good, I think, to know about your particular disease, to get together with other patient groups to share, this has worked for me, et cetera, like that. But to try to figure out what you have is also doable as well. But I, I think it's, you have to be careful what websites you go to. How trustworthy are those websites? When were they updated? Are these academic physicians or these other physicians? And do they have a secondary cause? Are they selling you a vitamin or supplement that is not FDA approved, that has not been tested in randomized clinical trials? Because I see people going after fads and particularly a lot of Asians in Taiwan and Hong Kong love to buy the latest 
apple vinegar or this vitamin or this thing. And it's a fad because it wasn't tested. That is fascinating. I mean, I'm, I wish we, we had more than 30 minutes to talk through all this stuff. I've been really enjoying seeing the innovations happening at, in women's health, right? I think five, 10 years ago when I was writing for MedGadget before starting Osmosis, you know, there wasn't as much discussion around it. There was a lot of like smartphone physical, that's how I got to know Eric Topol, like smartphone-based devices to collect your ECG or to collect, you know, if you're an asthmatic, you know, to understand your breathing patterns. Women's health, I think, especially in the last two, three years, has seen this massive renaissance. Everything from from companies, you know, for, for like yours, Pendia Health, which are, are pioneering in this way, you know, Nurex to Ula Health and Poppy Seed, which have popped up as well. So I'm very excited to watch this space over the next two, three years and see how it evolves. You know, since we're coming up in time, I guess one question, given that you are a physician and you you teach so many residents and medical students as well. What advice would you give to them about uh, meeting the moment, uh, meeting the challenges of, that COVID has brought and, and beyond? And it could be around women's health. It could be in general. I think that telemedicine is here to stay and we need to know what are our limitations. As a physician, I've always been skeptical about telemedicine because it is so easy to do a telemedicine visit and say you covered everything, but you didn't. You didn't listen to the heart. You didn't look at the ears. You didn't really get a good look at their throat. You weren't able to do a sample. You didn't even get their vitals. If they have asthma, can you really listen to their lungs? And certainly the equipment is coming. And when that equipment is here, yes. But before then, we need to admit our limitations. And we need to not say we did a whole visit when we didn't do a whole visit. And we need to realize when people need to come in and the problem, one big problem with consumer-driven healthcare is Yelp and other reviews, right? Because those of us in medicine know sometimes you have to be the bad guy, right? If we are in an obesity clinic and you continue to gain weight and you continue to not adhere to my suggestions, I need to be the one that says, no, you need to change your ways. And are you going to give me a five out of five Yelp review? No. And as a pediatrician, we see it all the time because we're like, no antibiotics for you. And you're like, but I want antibiotics. But 95% chance you got a virus, you know? And if you had a bacteria, I would see these signs on this blood test or this kind of symptoms and stuff like that based on my experience and based on my teaching. And if I don't give you the antibiotic, what are you going to do? You're going to fire me, right? And if you ask for a particular drug because the drug rep sold it to you online and pushed it into your brain or is giving you an incentive, and I don't give you that drug because it's not the best you're in your best interest or not the most cost-effective medicine, I'm going to get dinged. And so that is, I think, something we need to look at and tackle. And we see it both in person and also by telemed. But if the consumer is paying for that visit. They're going to expect results and they get very upset if you don't give them what they want. But sometimes what you want is not in your best interest. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that was a lesson I learned as a second year med student at Hopkins was we had a psychiatry professor who, who dedicated his career in Baltimore to treating people on heroin addictions and clearly patient satisfaction when you're denying someone their certain drugs is not going to be the way to measure your success. So it's just one of many things. We had another guest, Amy Compton Phillips, Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, who's the chief clinical officer at Providence, who made a made the argument, strong argument, to where, you know, in addition to patient sat looking at PROs, patient reported outcomes, to make sure that, you know, if you did your hip did that hip surgery, you know, 
six months later, that patient is actually having a better quality of life as opposed to, to worse. So getting the PROs and closing that loop on, on healthcare. My last question, is there anything else you want to be able to share with our audience while we have you on, on the podcast today, Sophia? I would love to see more support of female-founded, female-led companies. I would like to see more people of diverse backgrounds in both gender and ethnicity and socioeconomic status and education make it into healthcare as well as into the startup world. And I hope that if you're given two companies that are the same, that you will choose the female-founded, female-led, and that you will look for quality in your telemedicine providers. Those are some great messages. And just off the top of my head, I would love to give a shout out to the VCs I know that, that do prioritize that. People like Jeff Buskang and Chip Hazard at Flybridge, who have a specific uh, fund for female founders, as well as uh, you may know Chelsea Clinton is on the board of Neurex too. And she, she started the Metrodora Ventures, which is uh, named after the, the what they say is the female Hippocrates, Metrodora, who too few people know about. It's, uh, you know, literally the person who wrote the original thesis in Greek on, on women's health. We all know Hippocrates, but very few of us know Metrodora, and that's why they named it Metrodora Ventures. So in any case, Sophia, th- thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. This was definitely one of my favorite episodes. Very, I love meeting people who are so passionate about what they do, and clearly you are one of those people. Thank you so much for having me and letting me share periods optional and emergency contraception and quality telemedicine. Definitely. Well, thanks. Thanks again. And with that, uh, our audi- to our audience, I'm Shiv Guglani. Thank you for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.